What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. I'm your favorite host, the Holy Mother. Shut your mouth. Brandon T. Maxwell. Hi, I'm Katie Ricks, and I am the token white woman and Presbyterian, as well as the stated clerk, moderator, and pastor at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts. And y'all know who I am. I am the Archbishop of Praise. Yes. Of Praise. Okay, of Praise. I'm the Archbishop in general. I'm the Archbishop. I'm the most potent freely. The most. I'm the most holy reverend. Ashata. Yes, yes, yes. I'm I'm not just holy. <laughs> you the most holy. I'm most holy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I'm Pastor Sam. Today we are talking about the new Netflix documentary, Pray Away. I don't know if it's going to be a fun conversation, but it'll be a conversation that is definitely engaging. And we hope that you will enjoy that when we get to the word of pod for the people of pod. Thanks, Thanks be to pod. pod. Before we get there, we have to get into a few church announcements for the good of the order. You know what time it is, y'all. Let's get into it. Church announcement number one next week marks the 25th episode celebration. We cannot wait to share some of the emails and voicemails that you have sent to us over the last 25 episodes. We've heard from listeners from all across the country, and we can't wait to share what you all have said about the Holy Shit Pod and some of your favorite episodes. If you still want to get in on the fun, you can go over to theolatmedia.com and click on the purple hexagon in the bottom right-hand corner. Some of y'all got... What was that? Sound effects, man. Is it Star Wars? Don't worry about it. We do that in (laughs) (laughs) post-production. All of this is good, just for the record. To keep in. (laughs) Keep it all in. Keep it all in. Some of y'all feeling some kind of way about that purple hexagon in the bottom right-hand corner. If I get one more message about it. What'd they say? I think it's just the fact that we say purple hexagon so many times in the... No, we don't. You say that. Don't judge me. And every time you say it, I be like, (laughs) this is so Brandon. (laughs) But it is a hexagon. It is a hexagon. Don't nobody know what a damn hexagon is. Them people don't know how many sides a hexagon. They should. We got to educate the people. We're trying to elevate them. <laughs> so if you don't know what a hexagon is, go to feelatmedia.com and look in the bottom right-hand corner and that purple shape you see is a hexagon. Click it and send us a voicemail to be included in the 25th episode or a future episode beyond that if you are a little bit on CPT when you submit. What's CPT? Katie, what is CPT? I dare you to say it. <laughs> it's was, urban people time. <laughs> I was like, I really can't think of what a, a word to fit in for C. You better say Caribbean people. Uh, <laughs> I ain't gonna do that. You better not fix your I lips to say, say it. Color people. Brandon, tell us how many sizes does a hexagon have? Six. How many sizes does an octagon have, Sam? Five. <laughs> Oh no, that's, that's a, a pentagon. pentagon. Octagon is eight. <laughs> that's the Alabama education, baby. Look, Katie didn't know either. She was like, yep, that's right. <laughs> we do want to hear from you. Please go ahead and click that purple hexagon in the bottom right-hand corner and submit a voicemail. If you don't like to hear your voice on a recording, you can also email holyshit at theolatmedia.com. Just let us know your favorite episode. Let us know what you're enjoying, what you hate, or things you want us to talk about. We might do it live on the 25th episode, which comes out next week. 
So our first announcement is related to COVID-19. I know that y'all are probably tired of this by now, but the reality is reports of new cases have exploded in recent weeks as the Delta variant has spread around the country. The country is averaging more than seven times as many cases a day as it was at the start of July. The vast majority of people contracting the virus and being hospitalized are unvaccinated. Though breakthrough cases have also emerged, the vaccines continue to be highly effective at preventing severe disease and death. So the word is be vaccinated. If you are a member of the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All the Saints and the Aints, we cannot permit you to come to worship unless you have a vaccine. <laughs> you have to be vaccinated to come to worship. We will be one of the first congregations that has the little vaccine passports. We're going to make a special app for you to update and upload your vaccine card to your mobile phone and you have to flash your passport to get into worship. Yes, there are keys to the kingdom. Yes, there is a passport to get into the sanctuary. Please, please, please go get vaccinated. Pfizer, Moderna. If you got to get Johnson & Johnson, we're going to plead the blood over your life. That'll be your second dose. (laughs) If you get Johnson & Johnson, the blood will be your dose too. Thank you, God. The blood that Jesus shed. Hey! For me. Hallelujah! But no, in real life, y'all. Please go get vaccinated. Please. I uh, am pushing this message everywhere, saying it to all of my friends, calling them, reminding them if you are already vaccinated, call people, tell them you have to get vaccinated. We need you to get vaccinated. It actually works. I was in Walgreens the other day, y'all. When I tell you these people was getting vaccinated, they was in there fighting for this vaccine. Have y'all seen any of this? You know, my wife works at Walgreens and the beginning of last week, she was like, oh my gosh, all these people are coming in buying COVID tests. She was like, oh my gosh, like the white people bought out all the COVID tests. They coming in, no masks. Mm. They coming in talking about, you might not want to touch this stuff just in case we got COVID. She's like, put your damn mask on. Like, why are you up in here without a mask? Especially if you think you have COVID. Exactly. My twin nieces, who are 21 years old, were up here uh, visiting. They, They flew into Atlanta from California en route to Alabama, back home, and they stayed a night. One of them is vaccinated. One of them is not. You know, I let grown people be grown people, right? I'm not going to force anybody to make a decision. But I say, hey, give me two good reasons why you don't want the vaccine. She couldn't. Mm -hmm. She was like, I just don't, I don't want to do it. And her twin sister, of course, defending her. She don't have to have a reason. That's her opinion. Nigga, that ain't no opinion. You ain't gave me no opinion. You just said, I don't know. I just don't want to do it. That's the dumbest shit I ever heard. And then one of them said, well, you can still get it. So why why get the vaccine? Because you can still get COVID. So do you know 99.999% of the people who are vaccinated who get COVID do not die. Like, do you understand that over 98% of the the most recent hospitalizations and deaths are from people who are unvaccinated? Like the vaccine has a purpose. It does work. And it's important for people in general, but especially young people who think they're invincible to understand this. Absolutely, Sam. I mean, I think that's exactly right. And we're not here to chastise you. We're not here to say that you're a horrible. I am. I'm not. You might be the only one. You're terrible. You're horrible. (laughs) Not me. He's talking about y'all. Get vaccinated. I would imagine and hope and pray that the majority of the members of the Church of Holy Shit are already vaccinated. And if you are, please still do your part to encourage others in your family to be vaccinated. If fear and shame are positive motivators in your household from your family systems, then utilize those. Yes. But there are also other ways to positively reinforce the behavior. I encourage my little brother to be vaccinated by sharing with him data and just saying, hey man, I really don't want you to get sick and die. It's now people in your age bracket who are getting the sickest and being hospitalized. Mm -hmm. And that for my brother worked. I didn't have to shame him. I just said, hey. Well, that's good that that worked. I'm tired of being nice. You're musty. Your breath stinks. 
weight, your mama ugly, whatever it takes, you need to go get vaccinated. I'm sick of this shit. Our second announcement comes from our, I guess he wants to call himself the Archbishop of Praise today, but I don't know who sanctioned that title. Ha! Yeah, glory! It's praise today. It'll be prayer next week. This announcement ties into what the Holy Mother Shut Your Mouth just told us as he talks about exploding cases of COVID-19 all over the country. A third of those cases are coming from two states, mm-hmm. Florida and Texas, where there are two ignorant ads. Excuse me. Uh, uh, there are two very dumb ads. I'm sorry. This is going really well. Where there are two governors. <laughs> There are two governors who are absolutely insane, Mm. railing against masks in schools where majority of unvaccinated children will be crowded together, coming together for many hours of the day and then returning home. And they are totally against mask mandates. Most of them sound like they're against wearing masks, period. And it makes you wonder, makes you think, do they just want people to die? Yes, they do. Are they hoping that the black populations and the Cuban populations and the Puerto Rican populations and the Mexican populations and the brown people in their states would just kill over and die? And I'm not saying that they've said that, but it makes you wonder. So here's the deal. I think I said a long time ago on an earlier episode when the CDC was like, hey, y'all, you ain't got to wear masks. I do think there was a certain perspective that suggested if we let people get COVID-19, that also helps us get to herd immunity. Mm -hmm. If you look at what's happening in India right now, India is actually probably one of the worst countries as it relates to the transmission of COVID-19 and a lack of vaccinations. And I do think it's at the point in India where they're like, hey, y'all, let's just let this thing spread and get as far as possible so that everybody gets the Delta variant. We'll lose a few people, but we'll also get to herd immunity much more quickly. And I'm curious if there are some people in the United States who still have that sort of mentality that says, if we just let everybody get it, then we'll be fine. The problem is that allows the virus to continue to mutate exactly, and leads to additional variants from which we may not be immune. Correct. That's only a part of the problem. What's the other part? Because the other part of the problem is which communities are going to be the hardest hit if we allow the virus just to ravage those communities without taking particular precautions. Yep. That is the key. Actually, India is expecting another spike. And so I think, like you said, Brandon, the longer that we allow this to continue, the more it mutates and we're in the same position over and over again. Which goes back to our primary announcement for today. Get vaccinated. And wear a damn mask. And wear a mask. I'm wearing my mask, y'all. I'm going on vacation even with a mask now, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. Oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. You remember that? Katie, you remember that video? She don't. But she ain't never watched no Sweet Brown. You don't know my no Sweet Brown. I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. It's not TV. It's YouTube. I definitely don't watch YouTube. I went to get me a cold pop. <laughs> I said somebody barbecuing. <laughs> I said, oh, Lord, Jesus is a fire. (laughs) (laughs) And she said that thing so hard. I want to get me a cold pop. Cold pop. Oh, sweet brown. Our last announcement comes from our stated clerk. That's the Presbyterian thing. I like it, but it's also, it's very very vanilla. I, I like it. I like it. It's white. I said vanilla. You said white. Now coming from our white ministry, Karen. Well, you might remember a few episodes back, we talked about the two um, runners, Vincent Matthews and Wayne Collette, who gave the Black Power salute in the 1972 Olympics and then were subsequently banned from participating in the Olympics again. Mm -hmm. Well, on 
August 1st, Raven Saunders is a shot putter from the U.S., and she won the silver medal. When she was on the medal stand, instead of just standing or putting her hand over the har-har, she held her arms over her head in an X for the entire ceremony. When folks asked her what it was about, Saunders, who's gay and who does a lot of work in the LGBTQ community, said the X represents the intersection where all people who are oppressed meet. My, my, my. Wow. And, and I think I read that the Olympic Commission is like investigating. Oh, yeah. So then the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and the U.S. Olympic Committee trying to figure out who was in charge of investigating it. The IOC eventually said that they were, but Raven Saunders posted a few days later that her mother had died. Hmm. And so she was, you know, hopping off social media to grieve and be with her family. And upon hearing that, the IOC has suspended the investigation indefinitely. I'm tired of people talking about racism is only an American problem because you got the International Olympic Committee trying to police this woman's sign of solidarity. Mm -hmm. Like, go sit down and get you some business, please, and get off my line. Yep. Apparently, since 1972, they've opened it up so people can protest elsewhere in the games. I don't know what that looks like. People aren't seeing them then, but on the podium, they're supposed to not protest. I'm like, do you know how many humanitarian issues there are in the world today? Like, this this is should be a place. I mean, it's not a protest if you organize a space for us to do it so that we don't disrupt other things. Mm-hmm. We would like you to organize your protest here in this corner at this time. Right. And only for this number of minutes. I'm tired of it. And I'm just letting everybody know that if you are trying to police a protest, or, and it wasn't even an act of protest. It was a sign of solidarity, right? Correct. Like, so let that shit go and let people live. I wonder, would they be doing this if it was white folks holding their arm up above their head with an X? Hell no. Well, you know, in these articles, they start talking about this fencer um, who showed up on the podium with an X on his hand. Well, first of all, it's a wussy protest or sign of advocacy or solidarity, but they're just saying he did it. Nobody's investigating him. He's a white guy. Well, I want to protest one more thing about these Olympics. I want to protest that beautiful tongue and man who be coming in there at the beginning of the Olympics with his shirt off. You want to protest him? Mm-hmm. You need to deliver him to my house immediately <laughs> so I can teach him a lesson about how you should not be on the internet with your shirt off and your chest oily. You, Sir, you've done this for the past two Olympics with your oily, shiny chest and abs, and I'm going to teach you a lesson. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Aren't you married? What does your husband think about this? I'll invite him to come and join the fun. This is a pretty man. Just in case you know, this guy that Brandon is talking about, his name is Peter Taufatofa. Uh, he has a nice body. Uh, that's all I will say. <laughs> we talked about praying the game away today and Kata done been converted. Somebody's prayers has been answered. <laughs> we done figured it out. All you need to turn yeah. Kata yeah, is a shirtless tonguing man with a oily chest. She said he does have a nice body. <laughs> See, that's the issue is, is the ILC wants to call what I'm doing an act of protest. I'm using their terminology. What I want to express is a sign of solidarity. I say it, amen. A mess. <laughs> that concludes our church announcements for today. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be discussing pray away and conversion therapy. Stay tuned. Somebody got some cash out money. What? Oh, wait. Maybe that was me. 
Okay, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> Cash App makes a sound with like coins, and I thought that was one of you all. That was me. I'm aware. So sorry. Katie's the only white person that uses Cash App BT Dubs because apparently Cash App is a black app. And Katie the other day was like, send me some money on Cash App. And I was like, girl, you got a Cash App. Well, that was like, I learned about it from Apple. I never had Venmo till I got here and I had no idea that. Was it black people at Apple? <laughs> they were all different kinds of people at Apple. Were they all people of color at Apple? There were definitely people of color at Apple. Those are the people who are paying me on Cash App. See, this is a commercial. <laughs> but but I, I did a poll after you said that. and You did a poll. So white. <laughs> sure enough, all my white friends had Venmo. We have Venmo too. We just don't use it. Well, I have Venmo for my really white friends and then Cash App for the people I told about Cash App. For the black people. <laughs> well, for all the black people and the people that I told about Cash App when I didn't even know Venmo existed. Oh, God. See, the thing is, Cash App was the first one to have that little instant payout feature where you right. can get your money real quick right. and then everybody else caught up. That's why the black people got it first. It was like, oh, uh-uh, yeah. I'm not trying to wait on my money. Run me my check. Right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> It's actually black people to get paid. Their payroll is cash out. On cash out. Bless their hearts. Bless their hearts. Bless them good, Jesus. So today's Word of Pod conversation is all about Pray Away, the Netflix documentary where informer leaders of the Pray the Gay Away movement wrestle with the impacts of their theological perspectives. And then a few survivors of this movement who weren't leaders also reflect on their own journeys. There's also this intriguing storyline about a ex-trans mm-hmm. Christian. I still don't know how to talk about that, but we'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard all about it by now and read all the think pieces and seen all of your friends posting 60-second videos on their Instagram stories, talking about their experiences with the documentary and or with conversion therapy. So we're not going to give you too much background information. If you haven't heard about Pray Away, go to Netflix and search Pray Away and watch it. It's a very challenging telling of the implications of the Pray the Gay Away movement, which is the primary thing we want to focus on today. But before we dig into that. How did y'all experience the documentary when you watched it? Troubling and difficult, I think. As a heterosexual Christian male, it's troubling to understand or to see this ideology, this, I don't know, I, this this perversion is the word you're looking for. Perversion. That's, that's the word. Wow. That's the perfect word. This perversion of what we think Christian values are and the damage that it does to folks. Like, it was really sad. I watched it a couple days ago, and I'm still trying to process it without shutting down, because shutting down makes it easier. Hmm. During it, I think I'd curl up in a ball in a couple moments, and and my daughter would be like, hey, mom, how about we just take a break? We we could stop it. And I was like, I have to watch this. And so um, it, it was overwhelming. Um Hmm. And so I felt like I was going to throw up or I felt like I was this crushing weight, which are all trauma responses, right? And I've not gone through conversion therapy. I I know people who have and have heard stories about it. It's a great documentary for what they're trying to convey. But um, if you're a queer, trans, non-binary person, like there's definitely the need to take care of yourself and take a break if you need to take a break and we'll put in the show notes the resources that the folks from Pray Away give you to you know help you recognize that trauma response but for me it was it was overwhelming and um, I was 
grieving the effects of that movement, but also knowing that that movement created a foundational hate for queer people in mainline denominations as well. The interesting thing, Katie, and what you just said is that in researching Prayer Away, the director, Christine Stalakis, discovered that the vast majority of conversion therapy organizations are actually run by LGBTQ folks who claim that they have changed themselves. And so when we talk about like creating like this, this hate among mainline denominations. And so while these organizations may be run by LGBTQ folks who claim to have been changed, the impetus for this comes, I think, from this perversion of scripture, this perversion of Christian ideology that is very much found among heterosexual folks in the church. Yeah, I think for me, it didn't feel as painful to watch. I don't know if I'm numb to it, but for me... I was never placed in conversion therapy, but I was a part of a religious community that very, very clearly believed that you could pray the gay away. And so even if I wasn't exposed to conversion therapy proper, I think theologically I was still nurtured in a context wherein if anyone displayed any sign of being potentially homosexual, because that's the only word you can use, but if anybody sort of showed any sign of being a member of the LGBTQ community, there would be both implicit and explicit messages that were encoded into their socialization about praying the gay away and knowing that marriage is between one man and one woman. And so those things were um, sort of encoded on my being for a large portion of my early childhood and early adulthood. So watching the documentary, I wasn't necessarily like hurt by it per se. I feel like I've processed that portion of my life. But I think from an empathetic perspective, I grieved for the individuals who were on the screen because what I think the documentary did a great job of portraying is the multifaceted way in which this theology has hurt people. Mm -hmm. So Christine Salakis and Ryan Murphy and everyone else who contributed to this documentary did a wonderful job of showing the humanity of everyone involved. I think so often in our culture right now, and this at this particular moment in history, what we like to do is find someone to blame, right? If we have an issue at the Capitol on January the 6th, we want to blame X population. And I do that too. If Bill Cosby is released from prison after he was wrongly incarcerated, we want someone to blame. We want to demonize. We want to say, you are the problem. But I think what this documentary did, at least for all the queer folks in the film, is it humanized them. Even the very folks who we want to blame and say, you are the leaders of Exodus International, the primary organization that formalized this theological perspective. Look at what that did to the people who offered the oppression, who offered the perverse theology. Look at their humanity, see their tears, see their hurt. And that does something to you if you're a human who has empathy, at least. When you were talking, I was thinking about these two people who they were really focusing on. John Polk, who was like the spokesperson for Exodus International and the chair of the board. And also Julie Rogers, who became a spokesperson for another movement whose name I can't remember right now. But they both have now come out again as gay and realized the impact of what they had been doing. And they talked about, someone had said to them, you have blood on your hands Hmm. from what you did, that people had held them accountable. Both of them had done enough work that they could acknowledge that. They could acknowledge the 
I don't want to use brokenness because of something that happens in the film, but they could acknowledge their brokenness and they could acknowledge like the ways that they've grown and not put it away from them. I mean, my daughter said when Julie Rogers was talking, she's like, well, she must have a really good therapist. <laughs> I was like, well, there's a lot to, you know, and I think that's the reality is this film doesn't sugarcoat anything, including people who come back to their true authenticity again. And I think that's the thing for me, like when they were talking about the Freedom to March movement, which is just another version of Exodus International, it's a contemporary version of that. I think what frustrated me during the documentary or challenged me is I know what it means to look at someone and see their essence. Now, I don't tell people who they are in terms of their sexual orientations, and I work hard not to out people, and I work hard to just invite people into deeper knowing of themselves if they want to take that journey. I don't ever force that on anyone. But you can look at these folks and be like, y'all are gay. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to be funny because I had my aunts over uh, last week. They were coming through Atlanta. This is the first time that we had really spent a lot of time together since I came out years ago, right? Like When I came out, I left that religious community, and I left that city, and I I came to a new place and cultivated a sense of self and humanity beyond the, an oppressive context. And so this was our first time to reconnect. And it was funny to hear a couple of them say like, but we knew you was gay. Right. Like everybody assumed that that was probably going to happen. And at first I used to get offended and I would say, you know, you can't know that until I tell you. But what I now see is it's actually a human connection. Right. It's compassionate. It's holy to see someone and to name what you see in them and to call it forth. I don't know if black communities or Southern communities or people in general have cultivated a rich language for calling that out in non-judgmental, oppressive terms, but to see someone and name them as holy. And so I saw gay humans on the screen. Right. And there's nothing that you could do to tell me that they weren't gay. And so I, I wrestle with, in the place where the sort of empathy and the hurt or the frustration comes in for me is like, how could anyone have ever looked at these folks and been like, no, you straight? <laughs> how could anyone have ever looked at them, forced them into heterosexual partnerships and said, yes, now God is pleased. You sitting up here looking at these folks looking uncomfortable and you know they lying. And that's God being pleased? That's bull. Well, and the thing is that some of them were saying they weren't gay anymore. Some of them have talked about being celibate. I mean, the one by one is the ex-gay organization that has deep Presbyterian roots. And their current leader is Tom Brock, and he has chosen to be celibate. So this ex-gay conversion doesn't take away the essence of who you are. They're just making sure you don't have sex. And for me, that's the piece. Like he's making this choice for celibacy, which I think is a is a calling and not necessarily a choice. But that's precisely the thing that was the foundation of the Presbyterian like denial of ordination for LGBTQ folks. Like mm. we don't care if you are attracted to women. If you weren't having sex, you're good. We're going to let you through. And so it was like forced celibacy, which is different than if you think this is something that can be changed. If you think that this is a choice, you can't still have people who have those urges, right? That they say. And so you can't even draw a clear line that makes sense about what they think or what they believe, except they just don't want people to say that they're gay. Right. I'm thinking about this documentary and most of these pray away type of organizations and movements based on this documentary. I saw a lot of white people in leadership. Yes. Mm -hmm. And within black culture, black churches, black communities, folks may not have gone to one of these conversion therapy organizations, but still wrestled with some of the same issues within black churches. 
I think about Grammy Award-winning gospel recording artist Donnie McClurkin, who says because of his own belief and the church's belief that homosexuality was a sin, he suppressed his own sexuality. And he's named that. I mean, he does say that he's no longer gay and all this Mm -hmm. stuff, but he didn't say that it's because he was never gay or because, you know, he was confused or because it was a trick of the enemy. He said he suppressed his own sexuality because of his belief that this is a sin. And because of that, he feels like because of his struggles with his sexuality, he'll never have that nuclear family that he feels like he's supposed to have and all of those things. And he'll be uh, single forever or, you know, all of these things. But this is a struggle even within black churches who aren't sending their kids to camp or sending their kids to these conversion therapy, whatever you want to call them. That's really intriguing because... No, I don't know if black folks, a lot of black folks who've gone to these camps and the documentary would suggest that that's not the case, that there aren't a lot of people of color who've gone to these camps and programs. This was a white thing, but there still is a way in which this mindset is encoded in the culture. And I would even suggest, now Donnie McClurkin can sing his tail off. And I was mad at Donnie McClurkin for years for not being truthful about himself. And I'm not, not that I knew personally anything about him, but I was like, like, it's another one of those moments where I'm like, I can look and see and honor his humanity and his sexual orientation as a part of that humanity. I'm curious, even if he couldn't sing that well, if there's a way in which his denial of his sexual orientation and everybody's public acknowledgement of the fact that he's denying his sexual orientation, if that function as a way for us to tell LGBTQ folks that you must do X in order to be elevated in this community, Mm -hmm. right? So let's make him a national recording artist. Let's make him a pastor of Perfecting Faith Church or whatever its church's name is. Let's make him the example of what it looks like for you to deny your sexual desires and to be holy. He has millions of dollars from singing, we fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up. And so the story that I thought about as you were talking is, and wow, um, I was born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. And when I was being raised, I went to a church, a family church. It was a prominent church in the city. And we had one of the best youth choirs in the city. Couldn't tell us nothing. Like 300 kids together singing real hard and real loud, just yelling, because that's what all that we did in gospel choirs in the 90s. We just hollered. But we went to this church at one time where Donnie McClurkin was the keynote speaker and guest recording artist. So we sang our little songs. I think I may have lit like melodies from heaven or something. I, I lit a little song or something. And at the end of the service, after Donnie finished preaching, he both sang and then preached. He called all the young people down to the altar. And he began to anoint all the young folks and he was laying hands on folks and he was praying over them and everybody was crying and boohooing and they was playing something like we fall down or something in the background. And he got to me and he stopped and he looked at me in my eyes and he said, there's something special about this one. And he starts to speak in tongue and he spends an extended amount of time praying over me, Hmm. anointing me. And in hindsight, praying against what I believe he probably perceived, Mm -hmm. which was a sexual orientation that was like his own. He spent an abnormal amount of time with me and then moved on. And in front of the whole church, on the microphone, right? There's something different about this one, something special about this one. And then at the end of the service, as he's signing everybody's autographs, he writes down a little message in my thing and he prays over me again and talks to me and encourages me in the Lord to stay on the path because God's got a special call for me. God's got a special purpose for me. And Sam, I I think for me, I remember that moment and I'm like, that that was a moment that could have been holy. That was a moment where an older black gay man saw a younger black gay man 
And he was attempting to offer me something to live inside of this black church context. But what he may have unintentionally offered me is the endorsement of a mentality that says, you got to pray this thing away, son. And since we see your queerness, we're not going to name the queerness. We're going to name your giftedness. And we're going to name the fact that you're gifted for ministry until you have to pursue that and not this other thing. Yeah. And, and that's the tragic part of it. The holy part of it is the connection, is the ability for him to see me. I mean, and that's what churches should be at their best. It's spaces where we see the humanity in one another and affirm that and celebrate it and call it forth. But in that moment, we stifled it. Mm-hmm. I don't fault Donnie McClurkin for stifling it in that moment because I feel like at that point of his journey, he had been conditioned to believe that's what he had to do within himself. Absolutely. And within you or any other person um, who saw, who was coming into their identity. And because that identity was at odds with what the church believed, with what our interpretation of scripture said, he had to say, no, you know, I've got to save your soul from eternal damnation. Right. And the only way to do that is to tell you, resist these urges. Don't, you know, stay focused, keep your eyes on the prize, this type of thing. That's why I want to mention another documentary, not going down a tangent. I think these two connect in some ways. I don't think this documentary goes as deep about these issues, but come Sunday with Bishop Carlton Pearson. Hmm. I think they focus a little more on his notion that hell doesn't exist or uh, some of these other things. But what really brought him to some of his beliefs was the relationship that he had with a friend who was gay in his church said that this person was doomed or destined to go to hell. And he came to a place where he said, I don't, I don't serve that God. Yeah. I don't believe that. Hmm. And he ended up being kind of excommunicated from the church, you know, from the church of God in Christ. Um, But at the heart of his journey was a reckoning within himself as a straight black man that this isn't the way we should be seeing or accepting or not accepting um, folks who are living their truth. Absolutely. And then the ways in which he was ostracized as a result of that public profession, that public affirmation of LGBTQ folks, it's the equivalent of how white people who were trying to be solid with black folks in the civil rights struggle, how white folks called them nigga lovers, Mm -hmm. right? If you support anti-slavery, if you support anti-discrimination, if you're trying to fight Jim Crow, you are a nigga lover. And just calling you a nigga lover was supposed to make you realign yourself with whiteness. Mm Mm-hmm. And in Carlton Pearson's case, and I think in my own parents' case, like their fear was we are going to be ostracized as a result of our son's public declaration of the thing we've taught him to be ashamed of. What does it mean about my parenting if my son is not ashamed of this thing that we've accepted is wrong for decades, for centuries? And that goes back to the Pray Away documentary. There was a moment in the documentary that kept talking about these folks weren't only preying on people's sexualities. They were preying on their desire to be part of a group. Right, exactly. And wanting to belong. Mm. And that's a core human need. And that's and, and when Donnie McClurkin and Carlton Pearson and my mama and my daddy and my uncle and my cousin are ashamed of me, I don't think it's actually a shame of me. It's a fear that they're not going to have a place to belong. Mm. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and wrap this conversation up and give you a few invitations. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Lisa Weaver, the host of Theolab Media's new podcast, Healing Jephthah's Daughters, a podcast for all women and all girls who live with the trauma from their relationships with their fathers. 
On this podcast, we'll use family systems theory, biblical criticism, and storytelling to identify liberative practices that lead to our freedom, healing, and wholeness. Join me each Wednesday for conversations with friends, colleagues, biblical scholars, and mental health practitioners who will accompany us on the journey. Healing Jephthah's Daughters is available on all platforms. Subscribe via your favorite podcast app today. And as always, my prayer for you is freedom, healing, and wholeness. And just like that, we've decentered whiteness and heteronormativity. <laughs> we got to do that every now and again. We can't be centering whiteness and heterosexuality. Where we left off, we were talking about the desire of people to belong and how the Exodus International and the Pray the Gay Away movement and all these other organizations that cause harm to LGBTQ folks are really preying on, not P-R-A-Y, but P-R-E-Y, preying on the natural human desire to belong. So let's press that a little bit further and think about that. Because like I know that for me as a black gay man in the United States, I do have a desire to belong. And for so long, black churches were spaces where I knew I belonged. I could be affirmed. I could be celebrated, not fully, but as long as I was directing that choir, which I did like all the other sissies, as long as I was directing the choir and making the folks shout, and making the folks sound good, or as long as I was preaching and hooping at the end and taking people to the cross, I could be affirmed in those spaces partially. And making the choice to come out, for me, there was actually fear that I had to overcome because it meant that I wouldn't have access to a community anymore, a a certain community. And one of my queer siblings in the Lord always says, her name is Renetta Hobson. She always says, well, nature don't like of all. She's from Alabama too. Nature don't like of all now. And so it's always going to fill it with something. If there's a void, nature's going to fill it. And I think like for me, that was the fear. I didn't know what was going to take the place of this institution and this community that really did shape and form me. And because that church, even though it was a larger church, was a family church, I didn't know what was going to take the place of my family. Hmm. And so that's evil, y'all. I think is the only way to name it, to to make people think that they have to isolate themselves and or ostracize individuals who are LGBTQ or having sex before marriage or drinking alcohol or whatever the thing is. That's just evil and has nothing to do with anybody's Jesus. Right. Julie Rogers, who's one of the main characters in the documentary and who gets married to a female partner at the end, she was a part of the Living Hope Ministry. Hmm. She was talking about how when she told her mother she was gay, her mother took her to this pastor who was leading the Living Hope Ministry. And she talked about how often she was with him. Like, it was so much that I was thinking that they were going to get to the point in the story where this man had assaulted her because it was there was so much cult-like grooming kind of behavior. But she was there days and days each week, and they would have them all weekend, and there were camps, and then they would put them into leadership roles, and and there was no opportunity to think anything else. So it's like the flip side, maybe, of what you're saying. They're creating this environment where the place you belong is with people who are telling you you're not gay, and yet isolating you from everyone else. Yeah. Like, you don't have an opportunity to think about it because you can't be tempted. And and so, it's very cult-like. It's almost brainwashing. I mean... It's not almost brainwashing. It is. It is. And it is a cult. And it is a cult, right. I mean, Christianity at its core is a cult. That's another episode for another day. Oh, yeah. The cult of Christianity. It's coming. We're going to talk about it. 
So I think they create the belonging in order to manipulate these people. Mm. And so they use that basic human need because they know that people who are queer are teased by friends or they're Mm. ostracized by their parents. So they're like, okay, we're going to tap into this. Nobody else is going to love you as much as we do in this organization. Yes. And because they affirm lying, right? Because you can't tell about who yourself is. You know, these people are committing suicide. These people are harming themselves. The story about that in the documentary is what haunts me. And I think they said there were 700,000 people who had experienced conversion therapy. And those who have gone through it have an even two times higher suicide rate, which is still three times higher than the heterosexual populations. It's criminal. Yes. And even as like all the American Psychological Association and the pediatric doctors, all these people who have said it's wrong, there's no accountability for for this manipulation. And this was the part that I was I was hesitating on. They're accessories to murder when the people are killing themselves and harming themselves. And there has to be some accountability for that. And that gets into accountability. But I think for us, for me for those in ministry, actually, who are queer, trans, or non-binary, it was a reminder to me of why I'm out, why I was out when I went through the process. And because I can stand and say that I know a God who loves you, and I think that's the core of who I am and what my ministry is in the world. But to this question of accountability, Katie, to just dig in there a little bit, my question is, who do we hold accountable? Yeah, I don't know the answer. Because in these cults, in the Exodus International cult, in the Freedom to March cult, these are also people. And they're queer people. Queer folks who've been indoctrinated, who've been brainwashed. And that's the most perverse thing about it, right? Yeah. Assumedly, heterosexual Christians are going to teach gay folks to hate themselves so much that now we as the Christian folks can take a step back and let the gay folks teach other gay folks to hate themselves. That's right. It's not our fault. Look, we have Exodus International. Look, we got Alan Chambers. We got John Park. Look at all these people who have prayed the gay away successfully. It must just be the Holy Spirit. It couldn't possibly be the fact that we have for decades and centuries taught gay folks to hate themselves and they've internalized that and they're doing our bidding. It's them. Exodus International was founded in 1976 around the same time that mental health professionals said we are no longer willing to call homosexuality a mental illness. It was a reaction. If we have mental health professionals, trained professionals saying this is not a mental illness, we won't list it in the DSM-5. We're not going to do that no more. And then church folks say, okay, if you won't, we will. Right. So who do we hold accountable is, I guess, the question I'm trying to ask. No, you're right. And I'm glad you asked it because that reminded me of one of the pains that I was experiencing while I was watching it is, it is precisely that. It is not the people who are leading it. They didn't start it. That's not the foundation. The church started it. And and what I wrote while I was reflecting on it is like, it is precisely this that makes me want to run from the church. That doesn't put me in a position to show love to queer, non-binary, and trans people who may be people of faith, but it makes me despise the church. Um, and that's where I am today. I think it puts you in the best position to love queer, trans, non-binary humans. I think that hating the church, distancing yourself from the church, running from the church, at least in my own experience, has been the best way for me to love LGBTQ folks, for me to even love Black folks. 
And for me, I always think this shit together because in the same way that presumably heterosexual folks taught gay folks to hate themselves, white folks taught black folks to hate themselves. But there is an internalization of hatred that has also happened for black folks in America. And the respectability politics for black folks is a byproduct of that. Pull your pants up. Stop sagging. Don't do all that rapping. Don't do all that smoking. Dress like this. Keep your hair maintained like this. Keep your makeup on. Keep your panties on. Don't wear a bonnet out in public. All of this bullshit that we hear in the culture is a function of internalized racism. Everybody who is heterosexual needs to watch this documentary now. Everybody who belongs to a congregation that still wants you to believe that gay folks are sinful watch this documentary now. Everyone who still believes that for yourself, watch this documentary now. Everybody who thinks that they're an ally needs to watch it now because you do not understand. Hmm. If you are any part of that quilt bag community, you ain't got to watch this. You don't have to subject yourself to that. You don't have to rehearse your trauma. You don't have to relive all of that experience and be triggered unless you want to, unless it contributes to your healing. Let's wrap this thing up for the day. What are our invitations for listeners? To my Christian heterosexual community, I think for you, if your interpretation of scripture or your own Christian relationship has to deny someone else their authentic self, their authentic identity, then the brokenness is not with them. It's, it's with you. And you really should do some searching and you really should, should do some self-evaluation of what is wrong with me that... I have to deny someone else their their authenticity uh, because that is not the God I serve. That is not uh, the Christianity that I espouse. So uh, that's my invitation to to you heterosexual Christians out there who are hell bent on denying people their authentic selves. Focus on your own brokenness. The reason why I hesitated in using brokenness is because there's a scene that is heart crushing in in the documentary that's messed up that word for me for a little while. But my invitation is for queer, trans, and non-binary folks. Take care of yourself and take care of one another. The mental health resources that Pray Away put on their website are are good. And if you do nothing, if you do not watch this documentary, check those out. They talk a lot about physiological trauma responses that is almost inevitable when you're a part of the church and you're queer. Take care of yourself. Look out for other folks. Take care of them. And know that you're loved. Period. Point blank period. My invitation for you is to leave, to walk away. These theologies, ideologies, religious institutions, and communities only have power because we continue to allow them a place in our lives. And going there and singing in the choir, going there and directing the choir, playing the piano, preaching in the pulpit, straight or gay, only functions to support the institution that is causing harm. Period. Full stop. Period. Full stop. Walk away. Sometimes the only prophetic act is to walk away because walking away might be an example for somebody else. When I walked away from the religious community that shaped me and formed me, I didn't walk away giving them the middle finger, at least not regularly. I walked away with love in my heart. I walked away with tears in my eyes. I walked away with hurt in my soul. And sometimes when I think about it, it still hurts me. Sometimes I still dream of a world and a reality where there can be some sort of reconciliation with that community sometimes. But I also know that it's only in the walking away that I grew because that religious community and many religious communities rely on teaching us to hate ourselves, not just because we're queer, but because we're black or because we're a woman who speaks out or because we're a woman who feels called to ministry. 
or any wide range of other scenarios that challenge patriarchal male authority, American capitalism, and the systems that are the foundation of our congregations. Walk away. Stop fighting for inclusion in a space that was never intended to include you because those institutions are never going to be willing to do the work to unsettle the foundation. It's foundation work. It's tear down the whole structure and rip up the concrete that is the foundation, lay a new foundation that's designed to include us and build on top of that. They're never going to do it. So stop trying to make them do it because all you're doing is putting lipstick on a pig. Walk away and build your own shit and create the kinds of communities that affirm you, that affirmed your loved ones. If you are in a religious community that makes you hate your son, that makes you ashamed of your daughter, that makes you ostracize your cousin, walk away because that place is not only hating your family member, it's also hating you and it's also hurting you. Walk away. That's the word of pod for the people of pod. Thanks, Thanks be to pod. And that brings us to the end of another service here at the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for All Saints and Aids. We are grateful to you for once again hanging out with us here on the Holy Shit Pod. Listen, one of the things we love most is connecting with you, our listeners. Send an email to holyshit at theolabmedia.com to connect with us. Ask a question, submit a discussion topic, or just say hello. As you know, we believe word of mouth is the best way to spread the good news about the Church of Holy Shit. So take five seconds to share this episode with a friend or that relative who needs to be challenged. And if you're listening an Apple podcast or any other podcast app that allows you to submit ratings, please leave an honest rating and a review, maybe with like five stars. That's just another helpful way to send us feedback. And if you're really feeling generous, head on over to the patreon.com forward slash Theolab Media and leave us a little love offering in the offering basket. I, I, I hate you, Katie. All right, good people. You better shut up. We will be back <laughs> next week sometimes. That's how the heroes want to do the gays. They just kick the gays out. They just want to kick us to the side. All right, good people. We will be back next week. Same time, same place. Until then. All right, good people. We'll be back next week. Same time, same place. It's the 25th episode celebration. We're going to be hearing from you, wrestling with your questions and your comments live on the air. If you're listening to this on Monday, go ahead and submit Mitch your thing using the purple hexagon. We want to hear from you. Yep. I can't believe it's been 25 years. Seems like we just started. <laughs> My God. It's our 25th episode. It's the 25th anniversary of the congregation. We're going to do a pastoral anniversary for the 25th yes! episode. Oh, this is about to be. We're going to march yes! in. Oh, this is about to be old school. It's going to be lit. Come on. We're going to march in from the back of the church. Oh, from the back <laughs> of the church. Also, Katie, I just found a, a sermon of Brandon preaching from like 10 years ago. Let me listen to it. And we're going to include this in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But can we march in for real next week? How are we going to march in? Yes, we need to rock and back and forth. Y'all don't know nothing about this. Katie, just go look at videos of choirs rocking and marching in. I've seen it. I've watched them. You ain't seen this yet. Send me the link to what you done seen. Don't you even try to search. Otis Moss III, his church. Okay. They were at okay. Wild Goose and they were... What? the hell? She named, the, she named the blackest <laughs> church in Chicago with the whitest event in North Carolina. I've seen the performatively march in at the Wild Goose Festival with all those jiggers. Jiggers, not niggers. <laughs> with a hard CH. <laughs> Very well played.
Katie. They stopped all diabetic medication. That was amazing. Katie, where is your tongue? Where is your tongue? Come on. Come on. <laughs> 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 